Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I discuss, review, recap, rehash every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after their original air dates. So that means today, January 19th, 2019, is exactly 20 years after the original air date of the episode Helpless. So this is the one where Giles drugs Buffy and takes her powers away. And we have to talk about the patriarchy for this entire episode. This episode makes me incredibly angry, but I think it was overall pretty well done. I think what they were trying to say is is it's all about questioning authority and you know, it really sets up the really abusive dynamic and the patriarchal structure of the Watcher's Council. Um, some of this, I feel like I might be looking a little too far into it and giving it a little too much credit. I think that the, you know, the societal system of patriarchy really sets up the world of Buffy. You know, the reality of patriarchy does set up the world of Buffy. We are largely supposed to see Buffy as a girl that isn't like other girls, which is a serious trope. Like, almost all of the movies that I enjoyed as a budding human, budding woman, I guess, were, were this, because this was the best that you could get, was a girl that's not like other girls. It's not like girls as a whole are worthy. No, pretty much girls suck, and every once in a while you get a special one that can kick. And this episode kind of falls into that trope, and but brings it to the light in a way that I think is going to be, it's going to make for a good discussion. This is a very upsetting episode, and it's one that I briefly considered, like, the first time I watched it a couple days ago, I was, I mean, not the first time ever, of course, but the first time for this purpose of watching it and reviewing it and really looking far into it, I just was so upset by it that I thought, I might be putting this one in the vault. I might not want to watch this episode ever again, but watching it again today and then taking the notes, I think they were probably trying to start these sorts of patriarchy conversations with this episode. They were trying to, they were definitely painting the council as a big bad in this episode. The council is the big bad in this episode. So we're not supposed to like the patriarchal bullshit structure of the council. We're not supposed to be okay with it. And this episode is a perfect time to discuss all of the inherent sexism inside the council. And we'll get there. Just so you know, just in case this is the first time you're listening to my Buffy recap podcast, this is not a spoiler-free Buffy podcast. Um, my, I like to call them my sister podcast, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. They are a spoiler-free Buffy podcast. So if you're 
um, watching it for the first time for some reason, also listening to podcasts about it um, and don't want spoilers, definitely listen to them. And then when you've gone through the whole series, come back to me because I'll still be doing this shit. (laughs) I'll be doing this shit for another four years since I do it in this way in which I'm doing it sort of in real time. Um, Anyway, so yeah, I'm going to get into the larger discussion. That's basically going to be the theme of this podcast episode. I also want to give you a little bit of a warning. I have um, a house guest dog right now who is a chocolate lab and he gets very excited if anything happens outside and he will bark. I will try to like be quick on the pause so that you probably will hear the start of a bark every once in a while. And, um, so hopefully it won't be too jarring, but just in case you hear some barks, like if it's really bad, super loud, I will fix it in post. Um, I hope I don't have to do that though. Cause it's going to mean I have to edit the episode. And usually I just press record and I don't edit shit. <laughs> I'm not a high, uh, class podcast, but you knew that. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, the episode helpless opens with, I wrote my, my first note on the episode is sexy training time with Angel and Buffy, much grunting, many candles. So it's just, this is sort of ridiculous. And it's supposed to remind us that Buffy and Angel can't consummate their relationship. But and this is, you know, a heavy parallel of, you know, sex. They both want to be having sex right now, but instead they're like, quote unquote, training. Like she's, they're sparring and she pins him and is about to stake him in this little scene. Like obviously not about to stake him, but they're sparring, they're training, whatever. But while this is happening, there's like, no less than 45 candles lit in Angel's mansion. Like, I, I get that he doesn't have electricity in his mansion, whatever. So he's got a fire and he's got a shit ton of candles. And I'm sure those are all for Buffy's benefit because he doesn't need warmth. But they're, it's also California. And they're working out and, like, sparring and throwing each other all over the place. So... This bugs me. I mean, I get that they're trying to set up a romantic atmosphere to make that parallel that, you know, guess what? They can't have sex, but they'd really like to. That's that's all this scene is about, which is why there's candles everywhere. But just practicality-wise, it makes no goddamn sense to have candles and a fire in this scene when they're training, quote-unquote. There's a little jealousy moment when... um Angel asks Buffy what she's doing this weekend, um, because it's her birthday this coming weekend. And she's like, oh, well, actually, I, I, and he's kind of like, do you like have a date? (laughs) And she says, actually, I do. Older man. I call him daddy. Oh, gross. So this episode, uh, like I said, mostly about patriarchy and authority figures. And it's also literally about father figures. Um, I think it's kind of interesting. I wonder if they structured it this way on purpose because last week's episode, Gingerbread, was all about um, Joyce betraying Buffy. And this episode is about Giles betraying Buffy and also her actual father betraying her. Um, But we'll get to that. Um, 
so so Buffy, you know, just a stupid daddy thing. Like that's icky. <laughs> There's some ickiness in this episode for sure, and it's upsetting. And I cry at at least two different parts in this episode. It's just, it really is gut wrenching to watch Buffy's powers get taken away. Um, which I guess I didn't say yet, but, but the plot of this episode is Giles is carrying out this Watcher Council tradition in which if a Slayer makes it to her 18th birthday, they do this thing called a Cruciamentum, which is the Slayer's current Watcher will hypnotize her long enough to put a syringe in her arm, which is like, as Giles later explains it, it's an organic compound of muscle relaxants and adrenal suppressors. We get a little baby mention of Faith in um, the next scene. So the next scene is we immediately see, we don't see Giles drugging Buffy in this first scene, but we see um, the setup of Giles is currently having Buffy do some studies with vibratory stones, which it's just like a whole table full of crystals that are like lit up so that they're all sort of glowing, which is beautiful. Um, so I'll go ahead and the mint, the mint cup is in the mix. Like there's this one shot where you see like all the crystals on the table that he's having her study or whatever. And, um, the mint cup is just right there amongst all the crystals. And I'm like, yeah, I love the mint cup. Um, so, okay, this is where we get the mention of Faith. Just because I need to point it out, she really hasn't been around lately. Um, so Buffy says something like she's she's itchy to go out and patrol. She doesn't want to sit and, and like, so as soon as she leaves Angel's house, you know, after the whole, like, we wish we could do it right now, but we can't awkwardness she goes to which is that kind of are they sort of setting angel up to be a kind of father figure to buffy i don't know kind of i don't know well i don't know if i want to even think about that stupid shit so after she leaves there she's all like sexually frustrated i guess whatever <laughs> he lit a bunch of candles and then they didn't get to do it because he'll lose his soul and so she goes to this training session with Giles, um, and he's having her look at crystals. I love that he calls them vibratory stones. I've never heard that before. Um, I think I'm going to start calling crystals vibratory stones. I like that. <laughs> um, anyway, so Faith is like her, she wants to like a, you know, she's frustrated. So she wants to like get that energy out. So she's kind of itchy. She wants to go patrol. And she says, you know, I, I just would feel more comfortable if I could go patrol since Faith is on one of her unannounced walkabouts. So this is the first even mention of Faith in a couple of weeks. So, oh, and then Giles responds with Faith. Faith is not interested in proper training. So I expect you to stick to your studies or some shit. Um, I was curious, I wanted to know, how many episodes since Faith has been introduced do we actually get her in the episode? And it turns out she has been around, counting this episode, she has been in the picture for nine episodes. Four of them, she hasn't been in it at all. 
So I'm just going to go through just briefly because Faith is one of my favorite characters. Like I've said, I just read this book called Go Ask Malice. I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast. Um, I know I've mentioned it on my radio show. So I can't, sometimes I forget like what I've said on the radio show versus what I've said in the podcast. So I'm sorry if I've already like talked about that book a whole bunch and I don't remember, but I just finished this book that was like written by a fan, I guess, I assume. I mean, you have to be a fan to write a whole book about the origin story of faith, but it's the origin story of faith. Um, not canon technically, but I accept it as my own personal canon. It's like I said, it's called Go Ask Malice. It's sort of a diary form, obviously a play on the diary format of the book called Go Ask Alice. And it was actually pretty good. It's kind of hard to get your hands on, but if you're interested in Faith as a character, I would recommend it, actually. And if you know me in real life, I am about to have my very own copy um, it's on its way to me right now. I had to like do an interlibrary loan with my library to to borrow it from. I think it came from Houston, so I, it had I had we had to go kind of far to find that book, and it's really expensive on like eBay and Amazon. For some reason, I could get it on the Books a Million website for a regular price. So, if you're interested in it at all, that might be a good route for you as well depending on, like, if you're listening to this in real time. I don't know. It might be something that's just not... But hey, interlibrary loan. If you don't know about that, go to your local library, and most likely they'll have an interlibrary loan system in place where if your library doesn't have what you're looking for, they can find it from another library and get it sent by courier, and you can check it out from your library pretty damn cool. It's so much fun, too, because, like, just nerd-wise, which y'all are nerds if you're listening to this podcast, (laughs) it's just fun to, like, get a book from another library and see what other libraries, what they do with their book binding, and, um, I don't know, just, I'm not even a Ravenclaw, but I was raised by one, so... I I appreciate that. (laughs) I was raised by a Ravenclaw and I'm a librarian. So obviously I have the Ravenclaw energy within me. (laughs) I like to say I'm a Slytherin with Ravenclaw rising, but I also kind of have some Hufflepuff in me as well. I'm not even a Harry Potter person, but I really like the concept of putting people in houses. And I've probably mentioned it before, but it, it might be fun to do it right now. I um, associate the four main characters of Buffy with different houses, with the different Harry Potter houses. So if you're interested in that, I think most people would agree with these particular distinctions. Um, It's possible I got it from somewhere else and I didn't think of it myself, but I think I came up with it myself. But I'm sure someone else has come up with it as well. Um, See what I'm talking about? The barking. (laughs) The barking. (laughs) Anyway, so my particular, um, the way that I structure this, if you're interested, Willow is Slytherin, Giles is Ravenclaw, Buffy is Gryffindor, Xander is Hufflepuff. So there you go. (laughs) So just an important thing to note that, um, and I kind of want to go through it even. So 
Faith was introduced in the episode Faith, Hope, and Trick, which is the second episode of the season. Um, so she was a big plot point in that episode. The episode after that was called Beauty and the Beast. She was in that episode. She was in a few scenes of that episode, I feel. Just a couple of scenes. A reasonable amount, I feel, for an introduction of a new Slayer character. She's there, but she's not a main part of the plot. Which is what I expect from this entire season. I expect Faith to be there. I expect her to be sprinkled in in episodes where if the, a main plot point doesn't have to do with her, I expect her to be sprinkled in. I expect her to be part of the Scooby gang and she never is. She's never been just like sort of in the background of like research meetings and shit like that. She's just not. And I think... I just wish they would have handled that better. Maybe she was, like, shooting a movie, especially in the last few weeks that we really haven't seen her at all. Maybe she was, you know, her time was spent elsewhere, Elijah Dusku. But I feel like they should have utilized her a lot more. Anyway, you guys know how I complain when Faith is not there. Because in the past, I have called season three my favorite season, and a large part of that is because of Faith, but... And it's not like I'm, I'm definitely enjoying this season, but so far being that we're, we're definitely sol solidly in, let's see, nine, 10, we're 10 episodes into the season at this point. Aren't we? No, we're 12. We're 12 episodes into a 22 episode season. So we're almost halfway into the season that is like the faith season and we have hardly any of her up until this point already. And she's about to, you know, turn fully to the dark side. So we've barely even seen her as a quote-unquote good character. Okay, anyway. So she's introduced in Faith, Hope, and Trick. She is sprinkled in a couple of scenes in Beauty and the Beast. In Homecoming, it's the same thing. Like, she's in, like, one scene with Buffy, and then later you sort of see her in the background at the prom. Or not the prom, but the Homecoming dance. Not really in that episode, but at least she's there. She's not in Band Candy or Lover's Walk at all. She is in Revelations, and she's a major plot point in Revelations. That's the one where she gets assigned that new watcher that turns out to be evil. So she's a major plot point in that episode, at least. She's in Amends a little bit. So she's only... Amends was the one where, the heartbreaking one, where she actually comes over to Buffy's house for Christmas and then Buffy leaves her to go save Angel's stupid-ass soul, life, whatever. Ugh, yeah, don't even get me started on that again. If you want to hear that rant, go back to my Amends episode because I decided to put that one in the vault forever and I'm never watching it again because it pisses me off way too much. And upsets me. Um... But she's not in Gingerbread at all. She's not in Helpless at all. She wasn't even mentioned. At least they they took the time in... Was it Lover's Walk or Band Candy? One of those two, they, they at least took a second and mentioned why she wasn't there. And this episode, they took a second and mentioned why she wasn't there. But sometimes they don't even do that. And anyway... Let's not, okay, I'm just like going off about how Faith's not here. We're going to get a lot of Faith in the upcoming next few episodes, thankfully. Um, although this is when she turns, so. 
whatever. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> so we see after Buffy leaves the little vibratory stone training session with Giles. Vibratory stone. Was that supposed to be like some sort of vibrator metaphor? Because she's sort of talking to Giles about how she has extra energy to burn while she's kind of stroking, like, it might be a selenite wand or it could just be a long crystal. <laughs> so that's obviously a phallic thing right there. Anyway, she goes patrolling after she leaves the vibratory stone training session with Giles. And she's fighting a vampire, normal Buffy slaying mode. And then... All of a sudden, something goes through her, and they do a really good job in this episode of not only through, it's probably mostly Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance. She's a great actor. So something like goes through her, and she immediately becomes vulnerable. She loses her powers in like a second. And so I guess we can assume, even though we didn't see Giles do this, I guess at this point we can assume that that was her first injection and it immediately works on her. And I guess it just has to be administered continually so that she will continue to be helpless, as the name of the episode suggests. So something immediately goes through her and it's and she just immediately becomes a damsel. So the first time I watched this the other day for this um, podcast recap, I was really pissed off by that. Like, as soon as her literal physical powers are taken away, she's just immediately helpless. But upon this time, I found a way to rationalize it because it's just, it was such a shock. Like, literally in the middle of fighting a vampire, her powers get taken away. So I think it makes sense for her to be pretty much in shock and to immediately seem helpless. So I, I, can, I can be on board with that, although it still pisses me off. Um, but, 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 and then the next day, she, early in the morning, she's back in the library before Giles comes in with his coffee and banana. <laughs> I guess that's his breakfast. Um, we see him with a banana and a coffee many times. So uh, it's almost like, and I'm sure this is not a, a thing that the directors or the writers told Giles to do. He probably just decided this is good. This is Giles's breakfast. Okay. So sometimes you're going to, if it's breakfast time, you're going to see Giles with a coffee and a banana that he probably got from the craft services table, but still, <laughs> I love that. I think, I think Anthony Stewart head is enough of a serious actor, especially he's so good with props. As I've said many times before, like he always is doing something with his hands. He's, his acting is on point. So the fact that he, you know, I just feel like that just adds so much to a character. Like, he's got his banana, you know it's breakfast time. <laughs> it's Giles' breakfast time. So anyway, he gets there, and she's already there, throwing knives, and like doing target practice, and she's terrible at it. Which I also call a little bit of bullshit on. It's not just the slayer power within her that makes her able to throw knives. Like, she also trains. Like, she should still be able to do some of that shit, even if she doesn't have the extra magical slayer strength. She should still 
but I, I understand like my mom always says, it's a TV show. Like every time I start ranting about something, she's like, it's a TV show, honey. <laughs> and, um, I get that we're just supposed to see that suddenly she is not what we know her to be. Something's wrong. Something's very wrong. And this is a way to show us that, but it's just, it's a little too cheesy, but whatever. Um, and she is complaining to Jaws immediately. Something's wrong with me. This is not right. I almost got staked last night with my own steak. And he is seemingly unconcerned. He's like, well, don't worry about it. You'll probably get better. Maybe you got the flu. So usually Giles is very like, okay, well, let's get on it. Let's research mode right now. Um, so this is uncharacteristic of Giles just being sort of like dismissing just dismissing her like that. He normally wouldn't do that. Um, we get a moment where this is possibly Oz's most sexist moment. Definitely so far. And I'll, we'll see if he's ever more sexist than this moment. And it's really not even that bad. Basically, Buffy is talking about, it's already been set up that like, her dad takes her every year to the ice capades. She's really excited about it. He does it every year for her birthday, even though it's never been mentioned. And we this is the third birthday, Buffy birthday that we've seen. Which, if we're going literally with the day that this aired as being her birthday, January 19th, that makes her um, a Capricorn. And also, that, that makes her... That means she shares her birthday with... Um, one of my good friends. That's really cool. And she is like a tiny little slayer. So that's just a nice little moment. Um, so anyway, she keeps talking about the ice capade. She's just talking about it constantly. She's very excited about her dad coming for her birthday and taking her to the ice capades. It's a, tra it's a tradition that they do for every birthday and she's excited. So she's talking about it to, ev to Oz and Willow and Xander and she says something like, well, it's, it's not just a girly thing. I mean, they're Olympic medalists and blah, 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 blah. And, she, and I like to get cotton candy. My dad takes me every year and it's great. And she's like, okay, maybe it is a girly thing. But then Xander says, it's not so girly. Ice is cool. It's water, but it's not. So it's, it's coming from a good place because Oz is trying to say like, you know, you don't have to gender I mean, he's not really saying you don't have to gender it. He's just saying, yeah, it's cool. I agree. Ice capades, cool. And you're like, yay, Oz, so sweet. But him have, he didn't have to preface it by saying it's not so girly. He could have just said ice is cool. It's water, but it's not. He could have just left it at that. Um, that's the quote of the episode, by the way. Not the girly part, obviously. <laughs> but the ice is cool. It's water, but it's not. Because there really aren't great quotes in this episode, so that's the best we're going to do. Um, Oz and Xander are, interestingly, they, they have a couple of conversations in this episode, and they're usually placed next to each other. Like in this scene, they're sitting next to each other on one side of like a picnic bench, while Willow and Buffy are sitting next to each other on the other side of the picnic bench. And then later during a research scene, Willow and Buffy are sitting on one side of the table in the library while Oz is sitting at like the head of the table and 
Xander sitting next to him on the other side of the table from Buffy and Willow. And it's just, I find it interesting because you don't really see any affection between Oz and Willow in this episode. You don't even see them interacting with each other at all in this episode, but you see Xander and Oz interacting with each other in this episode. And I just, I don't know, I find that a little, like they're high school kids and Xander just cheated with Willow, Oz's girlfriend. So, I mean, I get that they're, you know, Oz is, he's an emotionally mature guy. He, I get that he can repair his friendship with Xander. I don't call bullshit on that part because he's emotionally mature enough to do that. However, it's just happened a little too quickly and I feel like they didn't, they didn't give that as much gravity as I would like. <laughs> Don't take a drink every time I say that because with characterization, I'm always just like, I'm always complaining that they're not giving characterization and in interpersonal relationships more weight. Always. So don't take a drink every time I talk about that, please. I don't want you to get too drunk while you listen to my show. I mean, if you want to have a couple of drinks, as long as you're not driving later, it's cool, but just not too many. Okay. Okay. Um, she goes home at the end of the day and she is greeted with flowers and, you know, she immediately goes to them because she assumes they're for her because it's her birthday. So understandable. And they're from her dad and he's left the tickets to the ice capades, but he's not coming. So he's standing her up and she is very disappointed and Joyce, like, tries to kind of have his back. She's like, he promises to make it up to you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's in, like, a little letter. There's, like, a card with the tickets. And I guess Joyce has read the letter. And she's like, it's all there in the letter. He's going to make it up to you. He can't get away from work right now. And she just sort of sadly crumples up the card slash letter in her hands. And she doesn't even look at it. And she, then she, and Joyce offers to go with her. She's like, I'll go with you. I can get off work, you know? And Buffy's like, that's not necessary. I was just thinking it would be nice to have a quiet birthday. That's it. She, you know, pretends that it doesn't matter to her. For whatever reason, she wants a father figure to take her to the ice capades. Because the next day we get another scene with the vibratory stones and Giles because he's going to hypnotize her again. Or we haven't seen him hypnotize her yet, but this is the first time we're going to actually see it. And she is kind of like on this little, one of her little Buffy rants where she's like, you know, and it's just, it's a thing that I do every year and it's, and it's really cool. And, you know, if somebody were to take their daughter or their student or their slayer and she's just dropping all these hints that she wants Giles to take her since her dad can't take her and he isn't even listening to her and that is I mean obviously this is the Giles betrayal episode there's one other time in the series that I can think of off the top of my head that Giles betrays Buffy but and we'll get there because that's season seven. I will literally not talk about that for another four years. However, that particular time that he betrays Buffy, he's it's coming from a good place. And I don't think it was entirely a betrayal, but obviously we'll get there. But this is a 
literal betrayal. And this is one of those heart-wrenching moments when she's, you know, she really wants someone to take her to the ice capade. She's only 18 years old. She needs a daddy to take her to the ice capades for some reason. Thank God she didn't ask Angel because that really would have grossed me out. But she she's just, you know, trying to get him to take her and he's not even paying attention. He's like, well, we need to, we need to focus right now. Okay. So like, look at this fucking stone. And then she does, and she's hypnotized. Then I wrote this note. I had a little moment. I came back from it. I talked myself out of it, but I had a little moment where I was like, okay, so watchers are given this concoction. Okay, here's where we have to talk about the patriarchy within the Watchers Council and really think this through. So they have the capability to give the Slayer this potion that makes them powerless anytime they want. A. B. Giles has the capability of hypnotizing Buffy. So obviously this is the way that this is done for the Cruciamentum, but Watchers that know that this Cruciamentum thing is coming, couldn't they just hypnotize their slayers and drug them anytime they want. So I had a little moment where I was like, okay, so he could hypnotize her anytime he wanted. So obviously if Giles weren't the, you know, person of integrity that he is in our patriarchal society, a lot of watchers in the past, I bet they used this power of being able to hypnotize their slayers in order to rape them. Because that's what dudes do. I had a little moment of that, but then I realized that, you know, when he does drug her, you see him do it really quickly and like as if he doesn't have much time. And then he, all he has to do to wake her up is sort of wave his hand in front of the stone that she's looking at. So realistically, it's probably a light, short-lived hypnotism slash trance. So maybe it wouldn't be enough for someone to rape someone. (laughs) So that's how I talked myself out of that because I immediately went to that dark place because let's just go ahead and get into it. The way that Joss Whedon chose to write this Watcher's Council shit is very sexist. It is a council full of mostly dudes that control the slayer. They literally don't have to do, they don't have to do anything. They just tell her what to do. They assign a watcher, usually a dude, and they all get paid. They treat it as if it's sort of a calling for them as well, but the watchers get paid for their jobs of controlling the slayer. And like, they're supposed to be the brains and she's the brawn. But they get paid and she doesn't. She's supposed to do it because it's some mystical calling shit just out of the goodness of her heart. She does not get paid. This is one of, this is probably the thing about Buffy that pisses me off the most is that watchers get paid, slayers don't. That is bullshit. That is complete and utter utter bullshit. The slayer is, wouldn't, The Watcher's Council wouldn't exist without the Slayer, which is something that Buffy will point out to Quentin and the Watcher's Council in season, in an episode in season four or five, one of those. And we'll get that whole moment later, but she should be the highest paid member. She should be the highest rank in the Watcher's Council. 
I mean, it shouldn't be called the Watcher's Council, you know? It should be called Slayer's Council or something. I don't know. But for whatever reason, there can be a ton of Watchers, but there's only one Slayer. When you can only have one Watcher in active duty. So, you know, shouldn't it be like potential Watchers? Shouldn't the Slayer's Council be made up of potential Watchers and potential Slayers and then the actual active duty slayer and watcher should be the head of that whole thing shouldn't it be that way but they all treat giles like he's just like this unimportant stepchild you know um and they treat buffy the same they treat her with total disdain i believe this is the first time we meet quentin travers the head of the watchers council and i Made a note of this. This is the first time I've thought about this. I think this is the first time we meet her, him. I think this is the first time Buffy meets him in person. And he didn't have the guts to introduce himself to her until she was powerless on her 18th birthday for this cruciamentum shit. He doesn't come in to introduce himself to the Slayer until she's powerless. So... And he's definitely, like, drawn as that type of character of, like, he lords his power over people. Power is important to him. You know, he's definitely drawn as this bad guy, power-hungry dude in general. But I just thought I would mention that. He doesn't have the guts to show his face to the Slayer until her powers are taken away temporarily. So, that's patriarchy right there, if I've ever seen it. <laughs> If that's not, then I don't know what is. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I had that little moment of like, oh my god, I bet Watchers have raped their Slayers. Because, cause, you know, they would want to do that. If you have the opportunity to take power away from a powerful woman in a patriarchy and you're a dude, it's going to happen. It's going to happen a lot. You don't even have to be that evil of a person to do that. And... I mean, I know that sounds incredibly cynical, but it's true. It just is. Okay. Um, we get a little moment of uh, Amy's still a rat at this point. Willow has not been able to turn her back, and she's gotten her like a cage and a wheel, and she's talking about how cute Amy the rat is, I guess. So Willow's cool with taking care of her for now. We get a little moment where Cordelia is being... Um, I guess she stood some guy up. She, like, said that she was going to meet him or something the night before, and she didn't. And he is, like, grabbing her and pushing her up against a tree and yelling at her and saying that he that she made him look stupid in front of his posse. And Cordelia's like, first of all, posse? Passe. <laughs> I like that little moment. I like that little Cordelia moment. And then he just, like, starts to grab her. I guess he hadn't actually started grabbing her until that point, but he starts to grab her and Buffy sees it and she tries to go up and like throw him and be like, excuse me, you know, she's defending the helpless. That's what she does, but she can't and she can't pull him off of Cordelia and he like turns around. I mean, it's really harsh. She like immediately turns around and throws her and she like hits a bench and it looks really bad you know they really 
make it look like maybe she just broke her back on that bench and she falls down and she's just like takes her a minute to get back up again. And Cordelia immediately just starts hitting the guy just like, you know, little squeaky hits like, what is wrong with you? Blah, 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 blah. And then Buffy goes to talk to Jaws again. And she's like, seriously, something is wrong with me. This is this is this is a thing. I need you to, to pay attention to this. She says, I just got swatted down by some no neck and rescued by Cordelia. Um, and here's where we get the most, I mean, it's got to be, we get the most sexist moment ever from Oz in this episode and the most sexist moment from Giles. And here it is. Buffy says, I mean, I throw knives like, and Giles says, a girl. And I'm like, what? That is a major, major grievance. That is the number one grievance that Giles ever commits right there. I mean, just by actually drugging her and hypnotizing her and betraying her. I mean, I guess that's worse than a comment, but that, oh, it just, it's a dagger. It's a dagger. And um, Buffy looks at him like, what the fuck did you just say, mister? She gives him a look that could kill. And then she says, like, I'm not the slayer. And I think that was like a pretty important moment and something that we could all think about since we're all fans of Buffy. Every time somebody says somebody does something like a girl, maybe we should rephrase it that, um, we're just not the slayer. I mean, does that make sense? Like somebody's like, you throw like a girl. No, I throw like I'm not the slayer. No, I guess, I guess that doesn't really doesn't really make sense to use in daily life, but whatever. Um, and she's just like, I, I need you to look into this. Like she's asking for help. She's asking for help. And he's just really kind of dismissing her um, and being shifty. And he says, I give you my word. Whenever she says, promise me, promise me, we'll get to the bottom of this. And he says, I give you my word, but he does it in a very shifty way. Um, obviously Anthony Stewart head again, great actor. Like he does it. It's very subtle. Like he says, I give you my word, but he sort of says it in a really soft spoken way. And he kind of does this little shifty eye thing and looks away from her whenever he says it because he can't look her in the eye right now. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. Um, then, okay. So at this point we haven't gotten the explanation for what the fuck's going on. We've seen Giles drug her and we know that she is, she doesn't really have her powers right now, but that's all we know at this point. And then the next scene, this is where we met, meet Quentin and he is, <laughs> I wrote down, Quentin watcher explains the cruciamentum to Giles. So this is the exposition. Like obviously Giles knows what this fucking is, but just for the benefit of the viewers, Quentin says on a Slayer on their 18th birthday, it's a rite of passage. It's a, he calls it, so what the, essentially what the Cruciamentum is, they take away the powers of the Slayer and then they trap her in like what they call a field of play. How Hunger Games is that? Um, in a field of play with a vampire and then see if she can defeat the vampire um, without her powers which is terrible. It's an awful thing to do. It's an awful thing to do. Um, so Quentin says time, 
time-honored rite of passage in the Giles says it's an archaic exercise in cruelty. So this is where you, you see that Giles is not a completely willing party in the situation. He has reservations. He doesn't want to be doing it. He's very upset in the scene. And um, it's... It, at least we're seeing that. At least we're seeing him be very upset by what he's doing, even though he's still choosing to do it at this point, which is awful. Um, and then Quentin says something that I think is important. I mean, in the context of the conversation, he's just further explaining his asshole behavior, the asshole behavior, the patriarchal structure and asshole behavior of the council. However, just like taken out of context as like, uh, uh, what is it called when you chant something over and over? A mantra, a sort of a mantra. I think this sentence taken by itself is kind of, these couple of sentences taken by themselves are kind of inspiring. So he says this, a slayer is not only physical prowess. She must have cunning, imagination, and a confidence derived from self-reliance. So I think, I think it's important, especially for women, if, women that like Buffy, at least, <laughs> or girl-identifying humans that like Buffy. I think it's important for all of us in, again, in our awful patriarchal society, to think of ourselves as slayers. And this is something to remind ourselves of just in daily life, reminding yourself that you're a slayer and, you know, it's important to have that. I mean, if we don't have physical prowess, we can have cunning and imagination and confidence derived from self-reliance. I think that's important. Um, I'm really sort of nerding out on tarot cards lately. And as I'm sort of getting deeper into the study of tarot cards and associating those cards with certain things, I I think of the strength card as the slayer. So if you know anything about tarot cards, or if you don't, typically the way that a strength card is depicted, there's usually a woman and she's usually interacting with a lion. And it's usually like a, she might be riding the lion, she might be... Um, putting her hands on the mouth of the lion. It's supposed to be interpreted as this woman has control over this wild beast and she is controlling it with like gentleness and kindness, not by force. Um, and I, I don't know. I think of that as the slayer card. I just do. <laughs> and, um, I'm, you know, I've been taking a lot of notes while I'm studying the different cards. So I think a note that I'm going to take down in my little tarot journal on the strength card, even though I've already associated, associated it with a slayer, I think I'm going to write that quote down that Quentin says um, about cunning imagination, confidence arise, arise, derived from self-reliance. I think that's all important to the qualities of a slayer. So there's my weird little tarot rant. If you check the description of my podcast, um, the podcast notes, I, for a while now, I've had like a little thing where you can like send me three bucks for me to do a little tarot reading for you guys. Um, but now that I'm really getting more into tarot cards, I think those, that tarot card reading would be even more meaningful if you guys choose to do that. So, um, just letting you know it's there. If you want to send me a few bucks in appreciation for the podcast and get a little mini tarot reading, 
hey, I'm here for it. Um, let me know if you want to do that. We'll, we'll do it. Okay. So then we first meet Kralik, which is going to be the vampire that she is trapped with in the Crucimentum thing. Um, Quentin has got, basically they're boarding up this house. So there's like no escape or some shit. Um, and this vampire is insane. Like for whatever reason, he needs like psychosis medication that is given to him. He's in a straight jacket. He, you never see him out of vamp face. He's in vamp face the entire time. Um, and he, he has to be given pills regularly to like keep his psychosis in check. And he willingly takes these pills. So whatever it is, he does want to keep at bay. So they've got there's Quentin, the head of the Watchers Council guy, and then he's got these two other guys that are, like, sleeping in shifts, and they have to be on watch with this vampire who is in a straitjacket, also chained up inside, like, a coffin-type thing. Like, they only take... Or maybe he's in, like, a closet or something. Like, he's contained inside a room, but he's also in a straitjacket, and he's also chained up inside a little room. So... Lots of layers of protection for the the Watchers Council, the three Watchers Council dudes that are in control of this field of play bullshit. Very controlled. They're, they're making sure that they're all safe, but they take the powers away from their slayer, and then they're going to trap her with him. Not chained, not in a straitjacket. They're just going to unleash this feral beast who apparently, as we get from a later explanation from Giles, this guy, before he was a vampire, he was like a serial killer and he killed women. Great. (laughs) Patriarchy again. Um, sexism. Um, we get like this stupid little interplay with Xander and Oz talking about kryptonite and the different kinds of kryptonite. Like, maybe this is just some sort of Slayer kryptonite thing. And, like, then they argue about which kryptonites do what to Superman. And, like, I think we're supposed to think this is endearing because it's a nerd conversation, but I'm so over nerd conversations these days. I mean, I like nerd conversations in general as a real thing, but just, like, this shit, I don't know. I, I just didn't really believe that Oz is into Superman, like, that just seems real basic, and I don't think Oz is that basic. <laughs> so, whatever. Buffy, uh, my next note was, Buffy's blowback makes her look v- vulnerable. Buffy's blowback makes her look vulnerable. So she's, like, in this episode, during the, especially during the parts where she is, quote-unquote, helpless, they're showing her with the same hairstyle that she had back in I Only Have Eyes For You where her hair was just like super blown back. There's even some, this one scene where she's just like putting her hands in her hair and crying. And it's like very soap opera, but I think it's the right choice for vulnerable Buffy hair. I mean, I buy it. Um, then we get a scene later that night with Angel giving Buffy a birthday present wrapped in an old handkerchief or something like it's, really. And all he actually did was he took one of his goddamn stupid poetry books off the shelf and he wrote in it always. And then he wrapped it up in an old dirty handkerchief and gave it to Buffy for her birthday. And we're supposed to think this is thoughtful. And Angel's just sort of like, do you like it? Are you sure? Like he needs so much emotional labor in this scene. He needs her to be so appreciative of his book that he 
pulled off the shelf and scribbled in and put in an old handkerchief literally two minutes before she got to his house. She had to go to his house to get a birthday present from him, and he didn't even get her something that she would actually want. Buffy doesn't sit around reading poetry. Like, come on. Read the room, Angel. She's a 17-year-old girl just turned 18. She's, tur she's an 18-year-old girl. She doesn't want your old-ass poetry book, okay? I, I think we're supposed to think this is cute and romantic, but I don't. I just don't. At all. That's not a gift that she wants. She wants to go to the fucking ice capades with Giles. God damn it. That's all she wants. But he does try to comfort her because this is a whole conversation where Buffy's like, what if I'm not the Slayer anymore? I mean, there's a chance that my calling's a wrong number, which I like that. I like the way she puts that. Um, so what if I'm not the Slayer anymore? And he's like, well, so you did it before. You can do it again, not being the Slayer. And she's like, I don't know what I am without that. You know, before I was the Slayer, I was like Cordelia. You know, I was vapid, blah, blah, blah. And then Angel's like, well, I saw you before you were the Slayer. I've been lurking since before you were called. Because remember that whole fucking plot point where he saw her get called, which I think is awful. Like, Angel doesn't need to be involved in Buffy's calling, okay? We, the only time we ever saw a Buffy being called, it was through the eyes of Angel seeing it happen. It was filtered through him. Patriarchy. Am I right? <laughs> like, no, this isn't about you, goddammit, Angel. And this is also supposed to be a sweet moment where he's like, I saw you before you got called. I saw you get called. And I immediately loved you because you held your heart before you for everyone to see. And I was afraid it was going to get bruised or torn. And all I wanted to do was protect your heart with my own and warm it with my own. And I'm like disgusting angel leave the poetry book to your poetry books and that you should have left on the shelf and not given to buffy for her birthday okay all right i don't find that cute at all even though it was coming from a good place he was trying to make her feel better and we're supposed to think it's sweet but actually it's just stalkery and terrible angel you're the worst i can't wait till you leave okay there i said it okay um then we see that Kralik has turned one of the guys, one of the Watcher Council minion guys, into a vampire. And because he's gotten out of his straitjacket. And he. Yeah. So then they eat the other guy together, I guess. So the guy's out of his chains. He has turned one of the two dudes into a vampire and is on his side now. And then the other guy has been killed. Quentin is. Who knows? He's just staying out of action. He doesn't do action. He sits around and drinks tea and tells people what to do because Quentin's an asshole. Um, and I wrote, doesn't it take days to become a vampire? Because, like, Kralik kills that guy and he's still, like, licking his fingers when the guy wakes up as a vampire. And I'm like, really? Like, usually they show, like, a person's gone through their funeral and their wake and been buried before they rise up. So I call bullshit on that plot point, but whatever. Um, Giles goes to the house at this point. I guess he was going to try to talk to Quentin or something. And he finds the scene. He finds the fact that, you know, one of them's been turned and the other one is dead. Um, 
and that Kralik is out of his chains. He sees everything. Um, we see Buffy going home after she hangs out with Angel and gets her terrible birthday present, and she's, like, clutching the book to her chest, and she's wearing a... Here's where we get some Red Riding Hood symbolism. Like, it's not too overdone, though. I'm impressed. Like, they don't make any big bad wolf comments. They show her in the red coat. It's literally a red riding hood. I mean, I don't know if it's a riding hood, but it's a red hood. And they later make, Krelik makes a comment about grandmother's house. We'll get there. But that's all they do. Like, it's symbolism that harkens back to Red Riding Hood, but they don't hit you over the head with it. So I appreciate that. Buffy's cat called on the walk home. We have to see her just take it. And this is so heartbreaking. And a lot of this episode is heartbreaking because it's just like, look what Buffy's like life would be like if she were just a regular girl. Regular girls just, you know, it's the worst. And it is. I mean, that's real. But... It's awful that we're, like, supposed to be feeling sorry for Buffy specifically for having these experiences when this is life. Um, It's kind of evident that this episode was written and directed by a guy. I think that's true. I know it was directed by a guy. Was it also written? Let's see. Let me check my book. Let me check my book. Yeah, written and directed by a dude. So moments like that really kind of call it home because it's like a dude that is trying to be woke and he's trying to care about women's issues, but he just doesn't get it. Like, yeah, they're showing an actual situation that would happen to a girl and normally Buffy would kick that guy's ass for saying what he said, which was like, how much for a lap dance for me and my boy here or whatever, which is something that a guy would say to a girl walking down the street. It happens all the time, but I don't know, just the way that it was dealt with just, it wasn't, I don't know. It just didn't feel quite right to me. Anyway, um, she, she ends up, so Kralik, she runs into Kralik right after those guys cat call her on her walk home. And she is running from him and asking for help and she's trying to get away and she looks this is the turning point though I think I think this is a turning point scene I think they did okay with this because they're showing her being really scared and screaming and asking for help and being helpless but then they show her start to turn the corner like maybe she's starting to accept that maybe this is her life now but she is resourceful too. She's smart too. She is cunning and imaginative and has a confidence based on self-reliance. <laughs> and she, so she tries to jump over a fence like she normally would. And then she realizes she can't do it. So she immediately starts crawling through a corner in the fence, a corner that has been pulled up in the fence and she gets out. Um, she runs away. She starts like trying to flag down cars on the street and people are just swerving and passing her and not stopping. They don't care. And this to me, it could be, you know, another patriarchy symbolism thing. Like a girl cries out for help because she is a victim of our terrible society, but our terrible society doesn't care about the girl that's crying for help. If you're a victim, you're not important. 
you know? Um, so she's ignored. After all, she would save anybody, anytime, as the Slayer. She's pure Gryffindor. She is heart of a lion, you know? She would save anybody at any time, but no one will save her. But Giles shows up at this point. Um, and again, with my tarot card things, I decided that Giles was like the Son of Swords, or the Knight of Swords, depending on what deck you're looking at, in this moment. Like, he's showing up to save the day, but um, it's kind of too little too late, you know? But he shows up, he saves her from that situation, and takes her back to the library where he explains to her what's going on. He decides that, and it's not entirely like he's decided this is all bullshit and he's not going to do it anymore. He chose to rationalize the fact that he was going against the council by telling Buffy what was going on because Kralik has gotten out and he has, you know, killed one of the guys and sired the other. So he, as a vampire, so his rationalization is obviously this whole thing's off now because the experiment went out of control, so I can go ahead and tell Buffy what's going on. So he's rebelling against the council, yes, but he's using circumstances to rationalize it. Like, if that hadn't happened, would he have gone through with the whole thing? And we would never have been able to forgive Giles if if he stayed complicit in this whole cruciamentum thing. So if Kralik hadn't gotten out would Giles have ever gone against the council? Like, yeah, it's a TV show. I know. <laughs> I know. So he tells her, you know, it's an organic compound of muscle relaxants and adrenal suppressors. Because she's like, what's going on with me? Come on, Giles, what is going on with me? I need to find out what's going on with me. And then he shows her the, the little box with the syringe in it. And he tells her. And she is... This scene is really great because we're getting, anytime you get like dramatic acting scenes between Anthony Stewart Head and Sarah Michelle Gellar, you're getting, you're getting the full thing. They're both very good at what they do. And this is a great scene because you see everything in their faces. You see how guilty Giles feels. You see how hurt Buffy is. And it was pointed out in my Bite Me Slayer episode or Buffy episode guide book that Buffy feels way more betrayed by Giles doing this whole cruciamentum thing than she felt by her dad st standing her up. And obviously one of those things is much more dramatic of a circumstance than the other, but I think it is important to note that she is much more hurt by Giles betraying her than her dad. Like, she expects her dad to stand her up to a certain extent. I think part of her talking about how we do it every year and I'm so excited, blah, 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 was her trying to convince herself that she wasn't thinking about the real possibility that her dad might stand her up. I think that was kind of a subtext there. Um, at least I think Sarah Michelle Gellar was choosing to play that as a subtext, subtext because she's smart enough to do that as an actor. Even if the show didn't mean for us to get that, I got it from her performance. And I think that's real. Um, but yeah, she's way more betrayed by Giles. And this scene really brings it home. I think it's, she's a little bit overacting because she 
is acting much more dramatic than she normally would because she feels much more vulnerable because her powers have been taken away. So she's acting much more stereotypically soap opera girl. And again, I think this scene could have been directed slightly better by a woman. I think if women were the writers and directors of this particular episode, it really could have been done in a better way. Even with the same plot points, they could have told this story better. And so I think Buffy's or Sarah Michelle Gellar is a little bit overacting in the scene, like especially in that part where she's like raking her hands through her hair and she's just like, there's that one scene where her hands are in her hair and she's like, how could you do this to me? You know, it's very much over the top telenovela style, but that's okay. I forgive it because for the most part, the acting is perfect in this scene. It's so heartbreaking. She asks Giles, who are you? How could you do this to me? She throws the box with the syringe in it at him, but it doesn't hit him. It just sort of limply hits the wall beside him. And it's just makes it even more heartbreaking because it's like, she can't even throw something at him right now. She can't. She probably tried to hit him, but she didn't. And, you know, (laughs) whereas before... If she threw something at him, she wouldn't hit him on purpose. But in this scene, she's not hitting him because she can't. I mean, it wouldn't have hurt him that badly if she threw this box at his head. (laughs) Even if she had hit him, it wouldn't have hurt that badly. But it was just like, she couldn't even throw it that hard. It was such a perfect little moment. And it really, just that little moment said so much. All you saw was the box coming into frame and then hitting the wall next to Giles's head. You didn't even see her throw it. It was just perfect. Um, Cordelia comes in during this whole thing and she sort of like breaks the tension for a second because it's just it's awful. She's like, how could you do this to me? I don't even know you. How could you do this to me? And he's trying to explain this whole rite of passage bullshit and blah, blah, blah. He doesn't call it a rite of passage. Like he's much more respectful about it, but he's trying to explain his motivations and the fact that this is a thing that they do for every slayer, like blah, blah, blah. And it's awful and it's very tense and it's very emotional. But then Cordelia Cordelia comes in because she wants to like research a paper that she has to write for the next day. (laughs) She needs a book. And she notices that like, you know, Buffy's very upset. She's crying like more than she's cried since Angel breakup times. And she's like, oh God, is the world ending? If it is, I'm so not going to do this paper. (laughs) I'm not even going to bother. And obviously she's, at first she's not really reading the room except to, to think, to assume that the world is ending, which is natural. And, um, Buffy says something to Giles, like, I don't even know you. And then Cordelia's like, oh my God, did something take her memory? He's Giles. Giles. He hangs out here a lot, which is taken by itself is just a cute little description of Giles. You know, if you don't know the context, um, Giles, he hangs out here a lot. They're in the library, so he hangs out in the library a lot, of course. He's he's Ravenclaw Giles, of course. Um, so, nice little um, comic relief moment from Cordelia, but then in a moment, it flips. This is another one of my favorite little moments in this episode, 
one of the reasons why it can't go in the vault is because there's all these little micro moments that are so powerful. And this is one of them where um, Buffy says to Cordelia or Giles says to Buffy, like, cause she starts to leave and he says, you can't walk home by yourself right now. It's not safe. And so Buffy just says to Cordelia, she just very simply says, Cordelia, can you take me home? And in a second, Cordelia realizes that, you know, all of this is, you know, there's no joking right now. Something really serious is going on and she doesn't know what it is. And she's not like spending time on, she's not asking for emotional labor from Buffy right now. Unlike Angel, she just immediately after Buffy asks for a ride, she says, of course, no hesitation whatsoever. Her tone completely changed in a second. Of course, Cordelia, I guess it's time to say it. She is the MVP of this episode, not only because she fought off that dude that Buffy tried to, that was bullying her, um, but also this moment where she just immediately, no questions asked, even though she is painted as a selfish character, she, there's so much more to her. And one of the reasons why I'm thinking about, again, I would love to have your feedback on this. I guess it's a good time to bring it up. Oh, so starting next year, I could do the Angel show in the same way that I'm doing the Buffy show. I could do, it's going to be a much shorter thing because I don't have as much to say about the Angel show. I haven't seen it as many times. I don't really like it that much overall. I have a lot more problems with it, um, which would make for okay discussions, maybe. But what do you guys think? Do you want me to do that? Is that worth it or not? Um one of the reasons why I would consider doing it is because of Cordelia. We get some great characterization with Cordelia in the Angel series. Um, there's also some problems that we'd have to talk about. Uh, Charisma Carpenter was very much not treated well as Cordelia, even though she was a huge part of why that show, why the Angel show was a, was a success. She was not, she was probably not paid very well. She was kind of unceremoniously fired and written out of the plot as soon as she became pregnant. It's, there's some patriarchal bullshit going on there that we'll have to talk about, of course, if we decide to talk about the Angel Show. But what do you guys think? Let me know. Okay, there's that. So I, I also wrote more than once in my notes how resourceful Buffy is. Resourceful. Resourceful? Resourceful. Are both correct? I don't know. Anyway, so at this point, she she goes home. There's this sad little moment where she just emotionlessly slides the flowers that her dad gave her into the trash. She just like slides it off the counter into the trash can. Okay, so, you know, even though she doesn't have her powers, she is, she's doing a lot of things. Okay, anyway, <laughs> she sees like a little Polaroid that Kralik has left for her. He has kidnapped her mom at this point. Um, I kind of skipped over that, but he has. So she goes and, um, so, okay. So she go she gets there. She's being resourceful. You know, she's going there. She's being extremely brave because, um, she knows that this is not just a vampire. This is like a pretty serious vampire. He's particularly gross. <laughs> And we get some back, we get some backstory on that. Some, a creepy scene with him and Joyce where he's sort of saying, 
you know, my mom was terrible. She had no respect for me. Can I call you mother? Um, what she did with scissors, blah, blah, blah. Like he implies that his mom did terrible things to him with scissors. I don't even want to know what that means. And he's sort of, you know, he says that he killed, killed and ate her and he has her there. He just, this whole exposition scene where basically his plan is to turn Buffy into a vampire. And then the first thing she eats is going to be her mom. Sorry, I'm getting like texts from my family right now. Um, trying to like finish this up real quick because my mom's bringing me some lunch. Um, which I could just, you know, take a break and eat and then finish the podcast. So it's fine. You guys don't care about whether or not I'm eating lunch. Okay. Um, then, okay. So when Buffy finally runs into Kralik in the house, she like pulls a cross on him and he like pulls it to himself. And I think you're supposed to think, cause he says, Oh, lower, lower. And I think he like puts the cross on his crotch and he's just sort of enjoying the pain and she's looking at him horrified. Um, so she's doing a lot of running away from him, but there are little moments where she's resourceful, um, resourceful. Um, she sees him like he almost gets her. Like, he's about to drink her blood, and she's having trouble pushing him off of her because she's not strong enough. And then suddenly he has one of his little attacks or whatever, like his head hurts and he needs his pills. So he picks up his pills, and that's the first time she sees that he needs pills. So just, like, immediately she takes them from him before he can take them, and she runs away. And this is where she kind of falls through the floor. She ends up in the basement with her mom, and she... um And there's just like this little moment where it cuts away from her to him and he catches up to her and, um, he just easily takes the pills out of her hand at this point because she basically took the pills and ran away from him and he chased her. And then he picks up the water glass that is down there next to Joyce for whatever reason. She just happened to end up in the place where the water was. When he was about to take the pills dry without any water right in front of her before she took them away from her, but he needs the water right now, whatever, they happen to be there. Turns out, like, when we didn't see it happen, she had filled the water glass with holy water because she saw that he needed those pills and she knew that he was going to take them back from her. So a really smart, cool way that she defeated the vampire when she didn't have any powers of her own, that part was kind of cool. But, you know, there are some logistic things. I'm just like, really? Like, he didn't need the water. So how did she know that was going to work? And and if he hadn't had that little attack where he needed his pills, would she even be alive right now? I don't know. Um, so right after he dusts from the holy water, Giles comes in. Or Buffy starts to try to untie Joyce, but she can't. She's not strong enough to untie her because the ties are really tight. And um, which is a sad extra little moment that I don't think really needed to be there. Like she's not even strong enough to untie some ropes without her slayer powers. I mean, that's some patriarchal bullshit right there. I don't think that would have been in the episode if it were written and or directed by a woman. That's dumb. But... Then Giles swoops in just as the vampire guy that Kralik had turned 
shows up so she was gonna have to kill him still too i don't know where the fuck he was during the rest of this whole scene but whatever jal shows up stakes him real quick and the next scene is they're at the library after this all happened apparently they just like took joyce home and then left whatever okay so it's quentin talking to buffy in the library and giles is sort of standing in the background and quentin's like he says congratulations he's really impressed by her resourcefulness and bloody bloody blue and you know lording over her he's standing while she's sitting and she's injured and all of that and she's being real snarky of course and he says something like i understand that you're upset and buffy says you understand nothing i think you better leave town before i get my powers back and Quentin says, Miss Summers, we're waging a war. And Giles says, you're waging a war. She's fighting it. There's a difference. I think that's an important thing to think about. Um, an important distinction to make with the Watchers Council is that they are over in England fucking like making rules and telling the Slayer to do shit. But most of all, they're most of the time they're not at all involved except to like pull rank whenever they fucking feel like it they're waging the war she's fighting it thank you for pointing that out giles because it needed to be said um then quentin's just like well buffy passed you didn't and then he fires giles quentin just fired giles for getting involved so that sucks <laughs> that sucks a lot um, then there's a stupid scene at the end. I don't know what the fuck this is about. Buffy's making a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in her kitchen with Joyce, Xander, Willow. Is Oz there? I don't know if Oz is there. Maybe, maybe not. And she's making a bunch of peanut butter sandwiches like they're all about to go on a picnic or something. I don't know. They don't even explain that. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a birthday picnic <laughs> or something. Um, and Buffy can't get a peanut butter jar open. First of all, I call bullshit on that. Why did they choose a peanut butter jar? Why didn't they choose the jelly jar? Jelly jars are sometimes hard to open. Peanut butter jars are never hard to open. This wasn't a glass peanut butter jar. It was just a regular Jif peanut butter jar. And they make this whole, like, she can't open it. She's not strong enough right now because she's not going to get her powers back for a few more days. And Xander's like, Come on, you need some help with that little lady? And Buffy just, you know, they pass it off like a joke. Like, you're you're really enjoying this right now, aren't you, Xander? But this is gross. This is gross. Where he's like, well, it's not, admit it. Sometimes you just need a big, strong man. So here's the big sexist thing that Xander says in this episode. We get a sexist thing from Oz, a sexist thing from Giles, and now a sexist thing from Xander, which is no different than usual with Xander. And, of course, he can't open the jar either. And the episode ends with him asking Willow to get it for him. So, I mean, that saves it a little bit, but not much. So there it is. Um, that's the episode. That's the patriarchal bullshit that we have to deal with in Helpless. Um, so now, I guess, let's get to ratings. Oh, I forgot to point something out that is important. So in this conversation with Quentin... Um, when it, right after he fires Giles, he says something very sexist. This is before the peanut butter scene. So I just kind of skipped over it accidentally. 
he says, if, you know, he tells Giles that he didn't pass and he fires him. And he says, and if you, and it would, I would advise you not to have any further contact with the Slayer. And Buffy looks really hurt in this moment. So this is the first little moment of you seeing that Buffy is going to forgive Giles because she looks very hurt. And Giles, I think, sees this and he says, I'm not going anywhere. So it's almost like he's, you know, I didn't really think of this until now, but it's almost like he's saying that to Buffy. I'm not going anywhere. Like he, he recognizes that he's going to have to earn her trust back and he's willing to do it and he's not going to abandon her. Because um, even though Buffy is really pissed at him right now, she doesn't know if she can trust him ever again. She still loves him. And it's all, you know, all of that is said through, like, how hurt she looks when Quentin fires him. And especially when he says that, I would advise you have no more con further contact with the Slayer. And Giles says, I'm not going anywhere. And... Quentin says, I suspected as much or whatever, but if you interfere with the new watcher, the new watcher, his authority in any way, he genders the watcher. He doesn't even know who the new fucking watcher is going to be yet, but he genders the watcher. And I thought I would bring up something that I thought about before. It's interesting, like, so she does end up getting a new watcher, Wesley Wyndham Bryce. Eventually we'll see him in a few episodes. And he's assigned to Buffy and Faith. Just like right now, Giles has been assigned to Buffy and Faith. Even though, like, he's shown absolutely no interest in Faith. So, one of the rare instances in which Giles gets points taken away for me through this episode and through the fact that he doesn't seem to give a shit about Faith at all. So, that's shitty. Anyway. I'm going to get distracted on the faith conversation again. I promise. So it's interesting that the only time we've ever heard mention of an active female watcher is with Faith. Faith had, I don't know if they ever mention when Kendra mentions her watcher, I don't think she mentions gender. So I don't know if we know if Kendra's watcher was male or female. However, Faith had a female washer before she was killed and she came to Sunnydale and then she was assigned a female watcher, except it wasn't real. She was just an evil person that was pretending to be her watcher that used to be a part of the watcher's council or something, or maybe she actually was assigned as the watcher, but they didn't know she was evil. I don't know, whatever. So the only time we've had mention of a female watcher is in the context of Faith, and Faith is the bad slayer. Faith is the slayer that we're not supposed to respect, and it's never even considered, especially through this gendering of Quentin, this gendering that Quentin does right here, if you interfere with his authority in any way, like they've already decided, I don't know who the fucking new watcher is going to be, but obviously it's going to be a dude. Like, really? Like, we've already known at this point that there are female watchers. So why is this conversation gendered at all in this moment? And this is just like, you know, a nitpick from me that they, you know, automatically gender the new watcher that doesn't even exist yet as male. So that's shitty. Um, so I thought I would mention that. So let's get to the ratings of the episode. For real this time. So, object of the episode, I think I already said, but it's 
Giles's vibrate vibratory stone collection. That's what I would like to have. He's got some good shit. He's got an amethyst. He's got a, a huge crystal, quartz crystal. He's got some other stuff that is not really identifiable. The thing that he hypnotizes Buffy with, though, really just looks like a piece of blue glass. I don't think that's an actual stone. But other than that, I think they had some real crystals up in that mess. So I'd love to have Giles's vibratory stone collection as my object of the episode. The quote of the episode, as I already mentioned, is, Ice is cool. It's water. And it's not. So Giles gets quote of the episode. Outfit of the episode. Really, there's no fashion to speak of in this episode. I think they styled Buffy correctly in that they put her in sort of loose fitting clothing that kind of made her look smaller. Like she, she isn't in any power outfits, no giraffe pants or anything in this episode. She, they, they did a good job making her look vulnerable in the clothing that she was wearing, but none of it was notable or stylish. I mean, she did have on her depression dungarees when she defeated Kralik. Um, but really no outfits to speak of. Like you don't even really see any of Cordelia's outfits in this episode, because I think she's wearing a coat in both the scenes we see Cordelia. So we don't really, we just see like, you know, a kind of nondescript like trench coat that she's wearing outside. And in the scene in the library, she was also wearing a coat. Like you can't really see her outfit. I don't remember anything about what Oz or Xander wore in this episode. Um, Giles is just wearing his normal tweed and the only thing, I mean, I, I'm going to give, give outfit of the episode to Willow, even though I can't describe a single outfit that she wore in this episode, but she was wearing some hats. She wore several different, very colorful Willow type hats with colorful outfits, but I couldn't tell you anything really about the outfits. They were just very Willow. So she was the only one that was really rocking any style in this episode at all whatsoever. So I'm going to give the outfit of the episode to her. MVP, like I said earlier, is Cordelia because she doesn't even question giving Buffy a ride. She's going to do it. She's pretty perceptive, usually, about shit in general. She fought off that dude that was being an asshole to her. Without, like, it wasn't like she was expecting Buffy to save her. And she wasn't going to be, like, pissed that Buffy did save her, but she... Also, you know, she just immediately, basically Cordelia immediately adapts to situations like, okay, Buffy's not saving my ass right now, even though she normally would be. And that guy just fucking threw her. So I'm going to, I'm going to start punching him now. You know, I'm going to punch him in the chest, even though it's not going to really do anything. Um, so yeah, definitely MVP is Cordelia because I mean, really it's Buffy because she was so resourceful when she had no powers and she still defeated the enemy in the field of play and she she rose to the challenge and she is awesome however i'm giving it to cordelia because i can't just give i can't just give mvp to buffy every episode but like most of the time she's unfailingly heroic that's her thing so i mean it's just like subtext is buffy's always the mvp but then who else was cool in this episode. And really, it was only Cordelia. Honestly. Um, five by five ratings. Okay, so I don't really know how to quantify. So, in the treatment of women 
portion of the 5 by 5 rating. I'm not sure exactly how I want to play that. Because on the one hand, I mean, I don't think I've mentioned the patriarchy as many times in any other episode discussion on Buffy as I have in this episode. Like, it's very prevalent in this episode, but it's kind of the point. So, like, a lot of it is written coming from a good place, but dudes can be really clueless when it comes to just writing women as characters because they're so used to thinking of women as not people. I mean, let's be real. For the most part, dudes do not think of women as full 100% human beings because of our patriarchal society. They don't. And they have to try really hard to think of them as 100% human beings. They have to actually be putting forth effort to treat us equally. Unfortunately, that is the way that it is right now. And it's changing, and that's good. But especially 20 years ago, it was even worse than it is now. So the way that the episode, again, like I said earlier, was handled is not perfect, but I think it was trying to bring up these discussions, and I think it was coming from a good place, and I think we're supposed to see the patriarchy and dislike the patriarchy when we watch this episode. So the treatment of women is not entirely terrible, but um, I don't think this episode passed the Bechdel test. Okay, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Because Willow had a conversation with Buffy where she was like, I know that you're absolutely 100% going to get your powers back, but what if you don't? So it does pass there. However, the conversation between Joyce and Buffy early in the episode was all about her dad. So that didn't really pass. And the only other conversation between two women was when Buffy is like trying to untie her mom later and she says she can't right now. So I guess that technically passes because she says she's not strong enough to untie the ropes and her mom's like, what? What are you talking about? Um, But it barely passes the Bechdel test. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a show that is supposed to be about feminism and girl power and all that shit. You know, I don't know, like I haven't gone through every episode to analyze it with through the lens of the Bechdel test, but that is something that I would actually like to do, maybe from now on. So this episode does pass, but, well, I mean, I guess... She does have, I mean, through the conversation with Cordelia asking for a ride and her saying yes, that technically passes. So maybe not quite as bad as it seems on the surface, but this episode was really about men. It was about Buffy's relationship with men. She has in-depth conversations with Angel and Giles in this episode. She even has, I mean, her interactions with Kralik are almost more in-depth than any of her interactions with women in this episode. Like, she just has, like, little tiny scenes with her mom and that one tiny little conversation with Willow, and then she asks Cordelia for a ride. For whatever reason, this episode wants to position Cordelia as more powerful than Buffy when Buffy doesn't have her powers. I don't know what that's supposed to imply. I don't... I don't know. So... 
I don't know. I'm going to give it like a middle of the road. I don't think the treatment of women is as good as it generally is in this episode. And I think it, the story could have been told a lot better. So I'm going to give it a 2.5 for treatment of women in this episode. No, I'm going to give it a 2. I'm going to give it a 2. And then the overall enjoyability of the episode, which is hard to quantify because obviously this is not an enjoyable episode. This is an upsetting episode. This is triggering because it's more true to real life. It takes us out of the fantasy of Buffy being a slayer when we have to see her reacting to patriarchy without her powers. And that sucks. I mean, this is a, this is too real. This episode is too real. It's too close to life. So it's upsetting. It's triggering. Um, but overall, it was handled pretty well for what it was supposed to be. Um, so as far as like how good the episode is just on its surface, I'm going to give it a 2.5. Which means this episode gets a 5 as the overall rating. 2.5 times 2. So... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not up there with any of my favorite episodes because it's just too upsetting. Too upsetting to see Giles betray Buffy. It's too upsetting to see Buffy reacting to patriarchy without her powers. It's too upsetting to have the reality of the world that we live in displayed with no metaphors. You know, usually we get to hide behind metaphor, horror metaphors in this episode. And like, even though we have the whole vampire storyline, it's, I don't know, this whole episode is not fun to watch. So let's um, move on from it then. Let's stop talking about it. So we're done talking about Helpless. Next week is the Zeppos. So that's the Xander from Xander's perspective episode. It's the only episode we ever get through Xander's perspective. I expect I'm going to have a lot to complain about watching that episode again in 2019 through, you know, this extra analysis lens. This is the one where Xander is going to lose his virginity to Faith, and it's going to be kind of a weird problematic thing, power dynamic thing. He's going to sort of, as soon as he has sex, he's going to become like this more confident, powerful character. Like, I think this episode is supposed to be Xander becoming a man episode. And so we're going to still be steeping in the patriarchy in the next episode. It's I, I used to find this episode very enjoyable. Anyway, we'll talk about all that when we get there. But so we're talking about the Zeppo next week. Um, 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 then we're going to have a week break. And then we're going to come back to talk about bad girls. So that's the turning point of turning point of faith is going to be February 9th. So next week, we'll have the Xander-centric episode, and then a week off, and then we'll talk about Bad Girls the week after that, which, yeah, that's going to be a good time. It's going to be heartbreaking, but also a good time. So, um, yeah, if you want to contact me and let me know your thoughts on anything, whether or not you want me to do the Angel series whenever that starts up next, I guess it won't technically be next year, it'll be at the end of this year. Because that's when season four of Buffy starts. We'll be like in September or October. So that's also, I assume, when the Angel series would have started back in 1999. So let me know if you want me to do that or not. The way that you can contact me is either through my Mixtress Buffy Instagram 
or just send me an email, mixtressradio at gmail. Mixtress is spelled M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S. If you would like to send me money on PayPal, paypal.me slash mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. And also, like I mentioned before, if you'd like a tarot reading to come with your donation, um, I don't know what I have it set up as. I think it's like $3 for a three-card reading. And I also do a shuffle of music as well. Not only do I like pull three cards from an actual tarot deck, but I also shuffle three songs. So I'll give you the name of the three songs and the name of the three cards for $3. And then if you want to send me, what do I have it set up as? (laughs) Um, Because I already like came up with this. Let me look at my notes. Okay, yeah. And then um, $9 for a three-card, three-song tarot reading with interpretation. So I will actually spend, you know, like a good half hour or 45 minutes or so after I pull your cards and shuffle your songs. And I will put together, you know, my own interpretation of those cards and what I think all of that means together as a full reading with the songs that I shuffle for you. So if you're interested in that, $9, these are both just to my PayPal. And just put in the description, you know, I'm sending you $3 and I want the the three card, three song tarot reading and I'll get it to you. Um, and then if you would like to become a patron... Um, how about this? If you become a patron at any level, I will automatically, even if it's a dollar a month, um, I will do a, uh, one card. I will do a one card tarot reading with a tarot, with a song shuffle as well. So one song, one card with interpretation. Um, if you become a patron at the dollar level, if you become a patron at the $3 level, I will do a three card song and tarot reading. So, hey, you know, you could just become my patron for a month for $3 and get a $3 three-card tarot reading with three song choices. So if you're interested in that, go to patreon.com slash mixtressray. Again, Mixtress Ray is M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. And um, yeah, I guess that's all the business shit out the way. We will be back next week, the 26th, to talk about the Zeppo. I have to work next Saturday, so I won't be able to record the podcast. Usually I just like wake up and immediately record the podcast if I'm not working. But since I am, just so you know, if you're a person that likes to listen to the podcast as soon as it comes out, it's not going to be out till probably close to midnight if I'm being honest because when I get off work it'll already be after six and then I'll probably go eat dinner and like chill for a bit so I probably won't start putting together the podcast until like eight or nine so let's be real it's probably going to be barely before midnight that that gets posted so just so you know that's how it's working if you're listening in real time I hope you guys have a great week bye